to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sweet Spot Labs. Intimate dryness is one of the menopausal symptoms I get asked about most in my practice. And it's no wonder estrogen is to the vulva what collagen is to the face. As estrogen decreases, so does the natural moisture in your intimate skin, such as the labia and hair bearing areas, which can lead to itching, burning, and increased sensitivity. The product I recommend to rescue intimate skin from this discomfort is Rescue Balm from Sweet Spot Labs. No joke. It's an ultra rich intimate moisturizer that is 100% naturally derived and packaged with active levels of collide oatmeal, zinc oxide, sweet almond oil to soothe and protect intimate skin. I not only love what's in it because it really works, but also what's not in it. So Sweet Spot Labs has been pioneering clean, intimate skincare since 2003. And they formulate without any common irritants, allergens, hormones, hormone disruptors, or yeast food sources. Rescue Balm is free from water, preservatives, fragrance, silicones, propylene glycol, steroids, hormones, parabens, glycerin, and even from poor clogging ingredients like coconut oil, just to name a few. And like all Sweet Spot Labs products, Rescue Balm is hypoallergenic and clinically proven by unbiased third-party gynecologists and dermatologists to be non-irritating on intimate skin, even with daily use. That's why I really, really feel comfortable recommending it to anyone and everyone, including me and even those with very sensitive skin. Visit Sweet Spot Labs and use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off your first order. That's S-W-E-E-T-S-P-O-T-L-A-B-S.com and use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off. Hi, my AOWs. I hope you guys are all doing great this holiday season. I am excited to sit down and podcast. It's been a while since I have done a solo episode and I was sitting down thinking about what should the topic be? I started to think about the holidays. I started to think about my recent TikToks where I was talking a lot about testosterone and I thought it was time to talk about libido yet again. And the reason I think it's time to talk about libido is (laughs) that there's often this um, pressure for sex around the holidays. Not always and not everywhere, but I saw a TikTok today, just before I sat down. And it was like, the TikTok was like Calabasas mom. So if you're not familiar, that's like a very fancy place where the Kardashians and celebrities live in LA. And she said, all I want for Christmas is for my husband not to ask me for sex. And it was so, 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 so funny because, you know, it's, it's, there is this, we have this very fluid, um, idea about sexuality and sexual health and when we should want sex and when we shouldn't want sex, right? And and sort of being a busy mom and preparing for the holidays and kind of falling into those heteronormative, uh, typical gender roles is like the mom's too tired. You know, please don't ask me for sex on the holidays or don't ask me for sex in general. I'm just too tired. I have too much to do. 
and whatever it may be. And all the while I started seeing patients again, I'm excited to say. So I started seeing patients. Uh, if you don't know a little bit about me, if this is your first time tuning in, ooh, this will be a good one for you. But I'm Dr. Heather Hirsch and I uh, formerly was uh, founding the founded the Menopause and Midlife Clinic at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And I moved home, my hometown, to upstate New York so that I could be with uh, my family and start uh, join the company Midi Health. And Midi Health is the first uh, virtual platform to uh, do telemedicine, um, menopause, and midlife visits. And I'm excited to say we just went into our second state. So from California to Massachusetts, surprise, surprise, that's because I came there from there last. And we are expanding into 14 states in early 2023. It's just going to grow like wildfire fire. It's just going to be so exciting. And I am going to be an integral part of training, hopefully around five to 15 new uh, nurse practitioners uh, in the next three months. Wild. But anyway, so I've been seeing patients again, and I have had several of my patients uh, talking to me about low libido. It's such a common symptom And it's such a common, I don't even want to call it a symptom. It's just a common thing. It's a common thing in general to have changes in libido. So I've been talking about it a lot and prescribing medications and also did some TikToks on this. And so if you don't know, I'm at Heather Hirsch MD on all social media platforms. And I love TikTok for its immediate response from just the general audience, like the general pool of anyone who has a phone, who anyone who has downloaded TikTok, uh, who for whom I land on their for you page. And I did a recent TikTok talking about why I don't recommend pellets but why many women do find improvement in libido and therefore continue to go and get them. And a lot of this has to do with replacing testosterone at very high levels. So I wanted to talk about libido. I wanted to talk about some of the pressures to perform or some of the societal myths about when we're supposed to feel sexual, when we're supposed to be at the peak of our sexual health, And what are some medications that are in the toolbox for clinicians to use for low libido? All right. I did my intro in the beginning of this podcast. Truth be told, I was too lazy to do a separate intro and this full episode so you don't get the full break effect, but here. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, you know, societal myths about libido. I've talked about this on several other podcasts and it's very complex and by no means am I an expert in sexual medicine or an expert in sexual health, but being that I primarily see women between the ages of 35 and 65, I I think of myself as a sex doctor. It's something that is a part of health, specifically for women. And when we're talking about hormones, inevitably libido and sexual functioning, uh, ability to climax, arousal, these come up. And it's a delight that they do because for far too long, we have excluded women's sexual health from the conversations. And it's kind of been this like extra thing, or you need to talk to a sex therapist, which they're great, by the way, you know, and now it's great that I get to encompass this in a part of a, you know, a regular uh, visit with me. And not everyone has issues in sexual health, but in, in a relationship, uh, if you're in one and you don't have to be, but there's usually what's called like the higher libido person and the lower libido person. And these are just, uh, these really depend on the context. 
let's say you would prefer to have intercourse once a week and your partner wants to have intercourse once a day. Well, you are the low and that partner is the high. But let's say you're in a new relationship and you want to have sex once a week and your partner wants to have sex once a month. Well, now you're the high and that partner's the low. And libidos are extremely hard to match, except if you're on the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase, there's lots of dopamine floating around. It's very, very exciting. Can't get enough of each other. But eventually, um, for most people, that fizzles. Maybe it even fades. And so then there comes this concept of the higher libido person and the lower libido person. And then the higher libido person tends to feel frustrated or uh, like they're being punished if the lower libido doesn't want to engage. And then the lower libido feels guilty or wrongful or like they're withholding something. And then resentment can grow. And this is true of literally almost every partnership where there's two people involved. That's not every single sexual relationship, uh, but you know we could say that maybe the majority. And there's also this idea that women should, you know, be sexual their entire lives, and that the best sex is spontaneous. The best sex is spontaneous. And we, where do we get this? We get this from movies. We get this from media. In fact. I was watching and just like that, I know I sat through all the episodes. I was a big fan of Sex and the City and you've got Carrie and her husband dies and this and that. The very last scene in that entire show, she's kind of had this, she, she went from being this like, you know, this character who wrote about sex and talked about sex and had a whole article about sex and blah, 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 blah. And then you've got, you know, and just like that. And there's almost really no action from her. She's kind of asexual, like through the entire couple of episodes, even though she goes on some dates and this and that, the very last scene of this entire show, what happens? She gets in an elevator with the partner she's doing a podcast with or the guy on the show, the producer of the show, and boom, they just spontaneously start making out the door's closed and that's the end of the show. There you go. There you have it. You can see this throughout so many things. If you watch Christmas movies, if you watch this, movie, that, there's always just like, oh, it's just spontaneous. And so when we come back to a partnership, it is really hard in the long-term partnership to have spontaneous sex. Does it happen every once in a while? Sure. Is that going to be the norm? It's just probably not. Because once you are out of that dopamine-driven honeymoon, you may have entered into real lives together where you have to be partners, where you have to make boring plans and do your bills and think about your retirement funds and your Roth IRA and sign this document and pick this up person from school. And can you change a diaper? And you've seen each other, everything, right? So the spontaneity is naturally going to change into more of a dopamine-fueled fun, into more of like an oxytocin-type fun, which is kind of more of this steady flow. But it's constantly going against the grain of what media says that we're supposed to be spontaneous. And that is the only way it can be fun. And at the same time, you've got the high sex partner, the low sex partner, and that's always creating this form of tension, be it big tension or just be it minor tension, right? Of the high sex partner. Oh, I hope tonight. Oh, I hope tonight. And walks into the bedroom, the partner is you know, snoring and pretending to be asleep. And maybe they're not even, maybe they are pretending, right? We've all been in these situations and they're very, 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 very difficult. And then lies the pressure, the pressure, the holiday, the new year sex, the birthday sex. I hear this a lot. Um, and I hope I'm not, I'm not outing anyone. I name no names. Uh, but I think it's something that as a community, as a whole, as as women, we kind of understand there are these times when there's these expectations that sex is on the menu. 
And then when it comes to that, my patients always fall into one of three categories. One of three. I really love my partner. I find him or her incredibly sexy. I, 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 I find them attractive. I don't want to be with anyone else. Um, but I, I kind of just don't want to do it in general. It's kind of a little painful or it takes me so long or just so much work. I'd rather just snuggle, hold hands, watch a movie because I love my partner so much. That's pretty common. That's probably the most common. A two, there's, oh, I just, I have no libido and it bothers me so much. I remember we were so spontaneous and I remember how much it felt and it's just so different than me and I miss this part of me. I miss it so, so much. I would do anything to get it back. And sometimes one and two are combined. And then there's number three, which is like, I never want to have intercourse again. Totally fine if it never happened. Totally fine. I feel bad for my partner, but ah, it's just not there. <laughs> um, I hear a lot of those. And, and you know, there's variations. I feel also know some of my patients, uh, as before I say this, probably <laughs> probably if they're my patients, they may or they're probably on hormone therapy, but they're like, oh, I feel so you know, it's the best sex of my life. I feel so great. I know I can't get pregnant. I know, you know, my partner so well. And and there are definitely ways to actually make midlife and postmenopause the best intimacy of your entire life. So actually, maybe that's what this whole podcast is geared towards is like, how do we get there? But there are definitely people that say that too. So there, there are maybe four things, but there is a spectrum. And if you find yourself falling along that, that is entirely normal, entirely normal. And the pressures to perform, whether it's New Year's Eve or it's a birthday, they 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 add to this fuel of like, well, how do I make it spontaneous? And how do I make it good? And what if it's gonna hurt? And and it can really start to fill the prefrontal cortex with all of these thoughts and worries and checklists. And I should go get a bikini wax. I should go to get some lingerie. I should probably just go get my toes done. And it starts to really take the actual fun out of the entire scenario, out of the entire situation. Now, Dr. Becky Lynn, she's a really great friend of mine. And last year we did a podcast together. And if it's it's gotta be back in like the 60s or the 70s, you can go back and, and search for Dr. Becky Lynn, who is on my show. But she taught me something that I has really stuck with me ever since, which is that, but when was sex ever really that spontaneous even she said even you know when you were 21 and your 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 boyfriend your girlfriend was coming to pick you up and you kind of put your sexy underwear on and your lacy bra and this and that you probably knew the chances were pretty high is that really spontaneous no it's actually preordained it's pre-planned in in terms of you know without actually saying it but when we get into oxytocin mode, we get out of the dopamine zone and we get into like a steady partnership. I'm going to say it outright. There's kind of got to be some communication and some planning and that makes it feel so unsexy. But the truth of the matter is that can actually be really sexy. That can be really great. Imagine being in a point in your life where you no longer have to like guess or anticipate or worry about your period or whatever it might be. Like you're in a place where you can actually say, you know, let's, let's try and do it once this week on the weekends when whatever, right? It feels weird. It feels awkward. It feels like that's everything against the grain of what we're supposed to do when it comes to our sex is be like, pencil it in, like put it in your Google calendar. <laughs> Don't have the one that you share with people, but you know what? No, share it with people. Who cares? Um, but, but that's really actually kind of what it comes down to. All right. So 
let's kind of move on from this mythology about scheduling is bad and spontaneity is the only good sex. That's not true. And the other thing I do want to kind of focus on is this prefrontal cortex idea. I was talking to my patient about this earlier this week, and we talked about how when they put people without, with, 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 with good libidos, um, having sex and MRI scanners, and they scan their brain, their prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making part of your brain. It's thinking about your grocery list. It's thinking about, um, let's go down my list. Oh my gosh, I have to pay for that furnace that I just got installed. I need to order ketchup for the kids. I need to order cleaning supplies for the cleaning lady that's coming on Friday. All those things that are in your prefrontal cortex. I should get my uh, bikini wax. I should get my, I should get a manicure and a pedicure. They're all taking a very important real estate in your brain when it comes to sex. When it comes to sex, when they put women in MRI scans and men, let's talk about women who are having good sex, loving it, super excited about it. They see nothing, nothing, no brain waves at all, no brain waves at all, which means that prefrontal cortex is not thinking about the ketchup they need to get or when the kids are going to get out of school or when this one has a half day or whatever it may be, or about your body or about your toes or about what you might smell like. Nothing, literally nothing, nothing. And this is a reason why as women, especially as we get into 40s and 50s and we have jobs and pets and careers and children and parents, it becomes really freaking hard to turn that off. But that's, that's kind of what it takes to enjoy sex. Besides for not being painful, let's come back to that. And so I really like to, when I talk to patients and say, hey, like schedule it, have a date night on that night. Here's the, the reason I like date night, right? When you are going to go on a date that night or you're going to go out to dinner or whatever you're going to do, you know, you kind of already know that. So you wake up in the morning and you do your stuff and you get your list and then you take a shower, you think about what you're going to wear and you kind of try your very best or you should try your very best to put all those prefrontal cortex, random thoughts, like the CNN ticker going across the bottom of the screen and put them up on a little shelf and say like, I'm going to pick this back up tomorrow, like after date night. It's going to really help. And even though you and your partner may have kind of said, well, you know, hopefully it'll be a great night and maybe we could come home and have some sexy time. Um, that's a really good way to set it up. Once you've gotten over the fact that you've said it out loud to each other, once you've gotten over the fact that you're going to put some of your worries away for a little bit, it's a really good time to try to practice that. All right. If sex is painful, it's, it's, that is the rate limiting step. If sex is painful, that is the first thing that needs to be addressed. I was going to say fixed, but there's nothing wrong with you. If it's painful, there's nothing wrong with you, but it can be addressed and it can be treated. So if sex is painful, it's most likely, but not always, if it's, if it's a hormonal imbalance, it's genitourinary syndrome of menopause. It's what causes the pH of the vagina to become more basic. You don't make, you don't, cells don't make lubrication. There's no moisture. And, you know, patients tell me it feels like glass. It feels like knives. I mean, in no way, shape or form, <laughs> despite how much you turn off your prefrontal cortex, are you going to want to have sex if it feels like razor blades? Or we could even go a step further and say, you might not even want to have sex if you're not going to have an orgasm or it's not going to be immensely pleasurable. Because when we have sex, these, these 
basically neurons, neuronal synapses kind of send this message, this feedback loop of like, oh, Heather, that was fun. Oh, Heather, yeah, you you should do that more often. Oh, yeah, you could even do that like on a Wednesday, <laughs> okay? And if it's not pleasurable, if you can't maintain arousal, if your orgasms are weak, if you don't have sensation, if it feels like razor bl- burn, blah, 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 if it feels like razor blades, that's, that's a no-go. I don't care how much you can turn off your brain. It's, it's, it's also going to be something that we want to work towards. So the treatment of that is vaginal estrogen, vaginal estrogen, vaginal estrogen, and vaginal estrogen. There's almost no contraindications to vaginal estrogen unless you're actively being treated for breast cancer, unless you're on an aromatase inhibitor, and those don't last forever and ever. But vaginal estrogen does not travel systemically. It is extraordinarily efficient in treating genitourinary syndrome of menopause and vaginal dryness. I have tons and tons of episodes on the different types of vaginal estrogens. I have a great YouTube video on this. So if you've never checked out my YouTube, please support me over there. I'm really fun on camera. It's Heather Hirsch, Health by Heather Hirsch. That's my channel, but you can just Google Heather Hirsch. I have tons and tons of videos on finding new vaginal estrogen. All right. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, high sex partner, low sex partner, pressures to have sex, spontaneous versus scheduled sex, pain. Now let's just talk about treating low libido in general. The medical term for this is hypoactive sexual desire disorder, especially when it comes to libido, which is uh, thoughts of sexual fantasies, right? Or thoughts of like, huh, that could be fun later. Okay. That's sort of what hypoactive sexual desire disorder is. It's when you're missing that. It's when there's a change in baseline from your libido, number one. And number two, it is bothersome to you. It is bothersome. Now, bothersome could just be like, it's bothering me because it's affecting my marriage. It's bothering me because it's affecting my partner. It's bothering me because I miss that. It could be any of those. If it's not bothering you, if you and your partner, it's not a priority. If it's, if you're, uh, if it doesn't bother you, it's not a disorder. It's not a thing that you have to treat. It's not. Okay. But if it is, there are two, one, two, FDA approved treatments for hypoactive sexual desire disorder. All right, so what are they? The first is a medication called flabanserine. I know that's a little bit of a lengthy one, and its brand name is Addy, A-D-D-Y-I. 100 milligrams, it's one tab taken orally at bedtime. So I have prescribed Addy and had some really good success. I have prescribed Addy and had not so great success. So when it comes to libido, it's made up of so many things, societal norms, right? Last week's whole episode was on cultural differences around sex, but there's a lot of societal, right? We just talked about pressure around the holidays. That in and of itself is a big thing. There's chronic diseases. There's other medications you may be taking. Back pain. If your in-laws are staying with you, if your kids are sleeping in your bed, you know, if your partner has uh, medical comorbidities, if there's trust issues in your relationship, sex is made up in more than just hormones and neurotransmitters. So I can only treat you with hormones and neurotransmitters. But, you know, please know that when we talk about this, there's not usually just a one magic bullet, right? People always ask, oh, is, is Addie the female version of Viagra? No. And Viagra is not a magic bullet either. Basically increases blood flow to make an erect penis, but that's it. (laughs) That's it. You know, female medications work 
and you can use Viagra for females, but you know, the FDA approved medications work by increasing neurotransmitters in her brain that make you kind of crave sex or get a reward for having sex. Okay. So Addy increases dopamine in the brain and selectively increases serotonin in the brain. Most serotonin reuptake inhibitors or your typical antidepressants or SSRIs, it do also increase serotonin, but too much serotonin can lower libido. Not always. Trust me. If you're super anxious, if you're super depressed, you're also not going to want to have sex. That prefrontal cortex is working really, really hard. But that's the way Addy works. It, it actually works by increasing a little bit of dopamine and selectively increasing a teeny tiny bit of serotonin to increase your natural inkling, drive, sexual fantasies, and hence libido. Uh, it's FDA approved for premenopausal women, and that's because that's who they did the studies in. But I and many of my colleagues use it all the time in postmenopausal women. So don't let that stop you. And its main side effect is it can make you a little sleepy, but you take it at bedtime. And for many women who have trouble falling asleep, it's actually a lovely side effect. So that's Addy. That's the first medication. The second FDA approved medication is called bromanolanotide or Vilece for short. And this is a as needed injectable. Now, times have changed where injectables are getting a lot of attention. And I mean, semi-glutides, injectables that help you lose weight. And, uh, you know, there was a point in time where people worried, oh my God, would women give themselves an injectable? It's kind of funny. How like, how patriarchal, like, I'm pretty sure women, like we humans come out of our bodies. I'm pretty sure we can inject ourselves <laughs> with like a teeny tiny thing. I know it just sounds absurd to say out loud, but sometimes things come to me when I'm speaking out loud in my, in my cedar closet where I podcast now. So it's an as needed injectable. Um, it's not that big a deal. Um, and it's before a date night. So one nice difference here is this medication also is going to work by uh, giving those neurotransmitters some sort of zest to crave sex. And it's as needed. So you don't have to take a medication every single day. Uh, the box says this works, you know, should be administered 90 minutes before sex. It lasts for several hours. So I always tell my patients before date night, and again, date night, remember I talked about how important and vital date night is. It really serves to turn that prefrontal cortex off, to put it up on the shelf so that you can really be in the zone. So you can really, you know, sense all the senses, you know, and, and that's, that's what it's really for. It's really more for a date night. Now it comes in a box of four. So ideally you're not really using more than four a month. And for many people, they use one a month, maybe two a month. And that's a huge increase. Um, the side effects, it can cause a little bit of nausea. I know that's like not sexy. It's usually the first time, the first injection and your body's just seeing this new medication. And then going on to the second time, it's usually much better. So I, I sometimes prescribe an anti-nausea medication for my patients. Similar to Addy, it is FDA approved for premenopausal women. Again, I use it for postmenopausal women all the time. My patient, I uh, most recently prescribed this to, uh, uh, just one of my dear patients who uh, was a student of mine and now is a patient at MIDI. Um, she was already taking several oral medications and we wanted to give her, she liked the idea of something that she could use just maybe once or twice a month when she needed it. And I'm super excited to see how she does because we have tools in the toolbox. We're lucky, <laughs> we are lucky to have two FDA approved medications um, that are really relatively safe. 
Now, the elephant in the room is testosterone. I'm going to save that for another day. Testosterone can be really, really helpful, not in super therapeutic form, not in pellet form. It really NAMS, the North American Menopause Society and the Endocrine Societies uh, recommend low physiologic transdermal dose of testosterone. Um, I have several patients on topical testosterone for whom they have found that this has also boosted their libido. It's again, it's a daily medication. It's compounded. It's a little costly. Um, and we got to watch out for testosterone side effects. But I promise I'll do a whole separate episode on testosterone. It's not FDA approved. Um, and that's because testosterone is considered a controlled substance uh, based on what I know about the FDA, about, you know, women's health, about hormones. It's not going to be FDA approved in my lifetime. It's just not. And, you know, that's okay. There's workarounds, but I'm going to keep testosterone on the shelf for now uh, and just tell you about the two FDA approved medications that we have. Lastly, the best thing you can do naturally to improve your libido is I think read erotica. I say this all the time. I always recommend the Rosie app uh, created by Dr. Lindsay Harper. She's the CEO and founder of Meet Rosie, which is a sexual health platform. I think reading erotica is, is one of the best ways to naturally boost your libido. Remember I said there's this feedback loop. So when you kind of remind your brain like this, oh, Oh, this is kind of a nice distraction. This is fun. It's going to naturally think about it more. Just like if you don't use your muscles, if you don't use it, you kind of lose it. Like, and I mean, you know, your biceps, if you don't go to the gym for a while, you're not going to start swinging around 50 pound weights, right? So same way, your brain's the same way. You've got to give it a little bit of time. You've got to give it a little bit of priority. You've got to give it a little bit of focus. So I like reading erotica. If you like watching it, fine. Um, I prefer reading and, you know, I, there's not one right or wrong, but the reason I prefer reading and the reason I recommend reading to women is it's a really safe space. It is so safe because you are creating in your mind what feels safe for you and only you. And I think that's actually really, really nice. So you can read erotica on Lindsay's app. Of course, you can just go to the library and get one of those old school like romance novels with like the big muscular guy on the cover, like in some boat or something. I don't know. You can do that too. And I think that that can be really, really helpful. So yeah, I wanted to talk about sex and the holidays. And I hope you have a sexy holiday, whatever that might be. It might just be exploring your own body. It might just be reading erotica. It might be communicating with your partner. It might be holding hands. It might be planning a date night. It might be spontaneous, but look, that's only going to happen every once in a blue moon. And that is okay. Because when is sex ever really all that spontaneous? Not that often. I hope you feel validated. I hope you hear her feel heard. <laughs> and um, I, I, I hope you guys have wonderful holidays. I love this time of year, not necessarily just because of the holidays, but I love a new year. It feels like starting a new journal, starting your goals over again, really thinking, being mindful, being thoughtful, being excited about what's to come. So there's so much fun stuff to come. Oh my gosh. If you mean it all the way to the end of this episode, you are truly, like truly the real ones. If you would like, don't forget, order yourself a copy of my book, Unlock Your Menopause Type for Christmas. You're not going to get it till June, but it's going to be a Christmas present for you when it comes in the mail. I just read through the book for like the fourth time last weekend. It's amazing. Guys, this book is so good. 
It is so, so good. It's filled with so much more stuff, so much different content that you've heard on my podcast and you've heard on my YouTube channels um, and written by Stacey Colino, uh, who collaborated with me to pull out of my brain everything that I wanted to say. It is amazing, amazing book. So go ahead and order yourself one for Christmas. Those pre-orders actually, if you're a big fan, they really help um, St. Martin's Press, my publishing house, say like, oh, this book's going to do pretty good. So if you want to support me, if you've been supporting me for a while, buy my book on pre-order. I totally appreciate it. It and it will come in June and you will be like, oh, go me. Yeah, I forgot I ordered myself that book. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Thank you guys for your reviews, for your stars. I just had a new one pop up last week and I usually post them on my Instagram. You guys can find me anywhere at Heather Hirsch MD. I love you guys. Happy holidays. See you next week. Um, biological reasons that this is happening. Do you have vestibulodynia related to nerves, muscles, uh, hormones, right? Or um, is this is this something, you know, even deeper? It, is this something deeper that we have to, or do you have something that started out as vaginismus and now you have complete pelvic floor dysfunction because your muscles are super hypertonic and, you know, so, mm -hmm. so you know how it is. They have a combination of all these things probably. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, you start out with the exam and you do what you can. You tell patients, I mean, we traumatize patients a lot, right? As gynecologists, mm -hmm. I think that over time, like, you know, that first bad exam can traumatize them for the rest of their gynecologic life, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always am cognizant of that. And I, you know, try to say, you know, I, I don't want to traumatize your situation. We're going to do what we can. Let me get an exam. Let me make sure you don't have an imperfect hymen or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then, you know, we have a discussion around it. You know, we normalize that, you know, 40% of patients probably experience sexual pain at some point. And, you know, some, it's much more common in, in our culture, patients that have high evidence of religiosity, you know, we've seen some, you know, abstracts that reflect that. So, um, you know, it's, first of all, nice for patients to feel like, okay, they're so it's not just, alone, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, the biggest thing I hear is like a 30 year old, somebody not coming in trying to have sex for the first time. She goes, I see, she goes, aren't there like 15 year olds that get pregnant because they're having sex. And I'm like 32 and I can't get pregnant. And I'm just like, okay, first of all, like there's a lot of issues that go around sexual. And, you know, we have a discussion yeah. around the biopsychosocial aspects of it. And, and, you know, are you in a good relationship? And most of the time the husbands are there, they're, you know, yeah. they're with them and supporting them. You want to make sure that they don't have all of a sudden, um, you know, um, uh, you know, issues with, um, um, uh, erectile dysfunction, which can evolve obviously with unconsummated marriages, which, yeah. um, data, data to support that as well. Yeah. And so once we have a discussion, then, you know, obviously pelvic floor therapy, vaginal dilator therapy, sometimes yeah. Botox and, yeah. you know, sex therapy and relationship therapy. I mean, all that, you know, has to play its effect mm. and if hormones that are needed, we use hormones, you know? And so yeah. it's like one of the things where we just have to unpack it. And you need time for that, right? So you yeah. can't be a 40, 40 patient a day practice and sit, no. sit there for an hour with somebody to talk about, yeah. you know, how their religion has shaped their, you know, lack of understanding of sex or whatever. And now they can't consummate their marriages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I love your, I love that, that there is hope that there are things that women can do. And you've seen a lot of success with people because this is not an isolated problem. This is not a unique problem. This is a big problem. This is a common, uh, and we shouldn't even call it problem, but just yeah. thing, a thing that happens to women, right? right? We need right. to have, it's, 
look, having something inside you is, is arguably a lot harder. And, you know, our bodies are different. Our anatomy is different. And I love that you have worked through this and really thought this through so much. I have loved having you on. You have to come back. Um, This was so much fun. I can't, I, my head is spinning. I'm going to, I'm going to get off with you and just be thinking about this conversation all day, because it's not one that I would say, even myself, I have all the time. It reminds me of how, uh, even for me, you know, um, narrow thinking, uh, maybe I could be, or in my zone that I could be. And I want to experience the growing pains to, to be sure that I am always inclusive and always getting better and always getting stronger so that I can help help more women, but you really opened my eyes to a lot of things, including, you know, how, how much work we have to do, but also on a positive note, hopefully yeah. there's been a lot of work that we have done. Absolutely. I think for sure. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of doctor, a lot of clinicians, a lot of therapists, a lot of people out there doing, doing the work. So doing the work, we to, um, you know, come together and, and help each other out and educate us on, you know, areas that we're not as savvy. Like I'm always tuning, I'm going to turn into this transgender talk that you just did. Cause I mean, <laughs> One area I really want to get right. <laughs> yeah. I really do too. And uh, I got a, I got a ways to go, but I'm okay to admit it. So, yeah. well, thank yeah. you so much. I can't wait to have you back yeah. on again soon. Yeah. I appreciate it. And you guys yeah. follow Gyno Girl on Instagram. I will link all of her um, links down below in the description of the show. And I'll see you guys next week for a brand new yeah. episode. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode.